On? Hello over there. Okay, this morning we're actually going to be going through uh, a particular portion that I've used in our discipleship classes at uh, VBBC and uh, several other places along the way. And uh, on Friday at our Australia Day uh, get-together, our devotional thought was concerning the famine or the drought, but not a physical drought, but rather the spiritual, spiritual drought that Amos 8 talks about where God said he would send uh, as judgment on his people a drought or a famine for the word of God. And uh, the solution to many of the problems people have in life today, in fact I should say just about any problem you have, uh, has its roots somewhere in rebellion and disobedience to the word of God. It may not be your rebellion, it may not be uh, your disobedience, but as we'll see from uh, our presentation this morning, uh, choices and decisions we make impact in the lives of others. Uh, not just negatively, but also positively. But, uh, so we're going to look this morning at what we call the laws of the harvest. And uh, in these laws of the harvest, I think there is some uh, learning for you and I concerning our witness of the word, our witness of sharing the gospel uh, it's really quite amazing the number of times as you read through the Gospels that uh, the, the Lord himself uses the concept of sowing and reaping. In fact, one of the, the best known of the parables is called the parable of the sower. Uh, I call it the parable of the seed. Uh, some could call it also the parable of the soil because the one thing that doesn't change is the seed. The soil changes. The sowers all change. In that concept, the Lord Jesus would see himself as the one who was sowing the seed. But then that ministry of reconciliation and that ministry of the word of God is committed to you and I, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now then, uh, we are ambassadors for Christ. So we have this responsibility of taking the word of God to others. That as we have received the truth and obeyed the gospel, we get saved. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So I trust this will be a blessing for you this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer as we begin this time. Father, bless our time in the word this morning. We thank you for each one who's here. We thank you for the promise of your presence with us to give us insight and understanding. We allow your spirit, Lord. We pray that you would allow your spirit to move with liberty and power to challenge and encourage our hearts, to build us up in the most holy faith, to give you glory and praise with the lives that you have redeemed and now the lives that you allow us to give back to you as servants of the most high God. Be pleased to bless our time, we pray and ask in Christ's name with thanksgiving, amen. Now I really don't know how this is going to work. Uh, Is it on? Oh, there we go. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Psalm 126 tells us, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Right? He that goeth forward and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, bringing his sheaves with him. Probably one of the most used uh, verses outside of Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13, 14, 
concerning the need of revival, concerning soul winning. Uh, one of our concepts that we touched on uh, during our Walking Wisely camp with the youth over in West Australia uh, was about he that winneth souls is wise. Of course, in Daniel chapter 12, there's a wonderful promise uh, concerning those that win souls, those that turn many to righteousness, that they will shine as the stars. So if you think of all these Hollywood bogans, they've got a star somewhere on Hollywood Boulevard, that's as bright as some of them get. Uh, God says they're going to shine as the firmament of heaven forever. I mean, there's a place of great honour for those who bring others to a saving knowledge of Christ. So the laws of the harvest. And uh, <clears throat> God in his wisdom has set in place laws that govern his creation. We understand some of the physical laws of this world. For instance, the sun rises in the west. Correct? No, no, head going the wrong way there, okay. Rises in the east, sets in the west. How long has it been there? It's only been the last couple of years, you know. Climate change, it's slowly making, no. Okay, so God has in law. That's very simple. There's lots of other laws, okay, and we're going to look at some day. But all creation is bound by these laws. Nobody lives and exists outside of these laws, Okay, if you jump off a tall building, you won't break the law of gravity, but you may break your neck, depending on the height of the building. Uh, I jumped off my doghouse once and sprained my ankle, so I think I got off light. Okay, now the four spiritual laws in Scripture, and each one of these comes with uh, a couple of Scripture references. Uh, you may, may already know them, or you may not. Okay, and there are, f and there are seven laws concerning the harvest. Okay, so... We begin here with the four spiritual laws. First one is the law of perpetual evil in the sin nature. Jeremiah 17.9. Anyone want to quote that for us? Okay, the heart is deceitful above all things. The most wicked thing you possess in your life is not a gun or a knife or a bag of cocaine, or, you know, or, or, not, or not a track record of crimes. The most wicked thing you possess is your own heart. Romans chapter 1, as we've cited before, if God wants to judge a person, the most simple thing he does is simply withdraw and give them over to the lust of their own heart. Have you ever pondered the thought, how many times God has not allowed your heart? I mean, if he controls our whole life, he can also restrain the heart or he can open the floodgates. And so in Job chapter 5 and verse 7 says that man is born under trouble as the sparks fly upward. Okay? And uh, if we had a lot of young people here today, we'd be able to say to them, they wouldn't understand. You know, They might know that if they do something naughty, they get in trouble with mum or dad. But you know, life is filled with all kinds of sorrows and woes that come. So we have the law of perpetual evil because of the sin nature. Okay, then we have the law of continual conflict. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. For the spirit lusteth against the flesh, and the flesh against the spirit. So that you cannot do the things that you would. You and I uh, are in a constant war of conflict. Now, this is something that's not recognised by the unsaved person until God starts convicting them of sin. Something's not right. We start to realise, you know, I mean, this is how I came to Christ, was this constant 
war within myself, you know, there's got to be something better than this. Waking up hungover every day, not knowing where you've been. I mean, man, you're 23 years old and you can't even remember where you've been for the last three days. You know, because you've been stoned out of your brain. You don't know what you said, what you did, who you hurt, who, what, what. I mean, but for the Christian, we've now got this new nature. We've still got a sinful heart. We've still got worldly plans and desires and other junk floating around in our life. We still may even have a certain circle of friends and we gravitate to those friends and we say to our young people, not everybody in your, in your corner is in your circle. Not everyone in your circle is in your corner. Some of your best friends will become your Judas. They might be your pallbearer, but they're also the one that was the tailbearer that got you buried in the first place. So um, we need to realise that there's this law of continual conflict as long as we are here in this world. Now, I don't know who the oldest person in the room is this morning. Looking at Brother Repsy, no, Brother Sparks, Brother John, Sister Margaret, way way over the back there. We we probably have several people here that are in their late 80s and I can tell you that even if they got saved in their teen years, this war has been going on and it doesn't stop this side of the grave. Because the conflict is not only for ourselves, but we feel that conflict and sometimes endure that conflict for others. It's called family. It's called fellowship. It's called brotherhood. It's called the Christian life. Okay, then we have the law of leaven. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 9, that one little piece of leaven leavens the whole lump. It doesn't take a lot of sin to upset everything else. In Ecclesiastes, we're told flies in the ointment of the apothecary cause it to send forth a stinking savour. Because in these days of the old uh, apothecary, they would make their, their medications or their ointments, their fragrances in large quantities. Uh, they were cheap and they were plentiful unless you were talking about, you know, the oil of spikenard that Mary used, which was very costly. I mean, in a small alabaster box, and it was worth over a year's wages. What would be a year's wages on the average today? In Australia, most people say, oh, $200,000, and I'm still not getting enough. Now, you want to see my tax return, okay? It doesn't take much to upset. 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us that evil communication corrupts good manners. For our young people, one of our themes was, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of fools shall be destroyed. And so we have the the law of leaven. And then we have the law of temporal death. Now, this does not apply to the unsaved person. This is for the child of God. When you and I, when we go into sin, our fellowship with God is disrupted. No matter what sin I have sinned, my relationship with God is fixed. It's settled. You can't lose your salvation. But you can certainly damage and not enjoy the fellowship that you are intended to enjoy with God because of uh, sin. Uh, Paul understood this when he spoke of, you know, that which I would do, I do not, and that which I would not do, that I do. Okay. The seven laws of harvest. Uh, firstly, we have that we reap only that which has been sown. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. 
So for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, most people can quote that verse. They know the very principle of it. It's widely used in the world. You know, that you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And uh, so, you know, but there is a positive and a negative of it. Uh, in, Galatians, sorry, in John chapter 4 and verse 38, when the Lord is having a conversation, the woman at the well and the woman there at Sychar, she's gone away to the city to tell everybody, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. This is part of the conversation the Lord had with the, the disciples who were more concerned about food than they were about souls. And uh, he said, I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labour. Others, others have laboured and you are now entering into their labours. Okay? You're reaping, but you didn't sow it. Yet many of the converts that came to Christ in the early days of his ministry were the fruit of the ministry of John the Baptist and the preaching of John the Baptist's followers. Uh, just as many of those who uh, came under the preaching of the Apostle Paul very likely have already been ministered to in times when they visited Jerusalem and the disciples, the apostles there have ministered and preached the word. Okay? So I want you to consider, you know, we can think of the negative effects, but very few ever think of the positive effects of this law of the harvest. Consider the positive effects of this law as well as the negative. In engineering, okay? the amazing things that we are able to build today. I mean, if we went back two and a half thousand years ago to the Greek and the, the Roman empires, some of their inventions, some of their, their buildings, amazing testimonies. Uh, we occasionally watch a, a thing on TV uh, called uh, Escape to the Country. I don't know why. I mean, Tim escaped from England, has no desire to go back. I've never been to England. I don't really care to go there, particularly in wintertime. But they occasionally will show you these amazing bridges that are, you know, a couple of thousand years old. And when we were in Israel and we saw the old, uh, the old aqueduct that is down there at Caesarea, and you see this thing is still standing after thousands of years. It's just amazing. But that's basic engineering. That's a positive. Much of the comforts we enjoy in life today are a result of the positive things of, uh, of science and of medicine, technology, uh, education, morality. But you can also see the negatives of those as well. Just think in terms of education and morality today. Okay? We, now, we are now reaping that which has been sown from a generation of what people refer to as woke. Some call them do-gooders. We should call them do-badders. But uh, we've got all these people who are now in positions of power and influence to really spread further and further and further. And it started off in the universities and then it came down through the colleges into the high schools, into the primary schools and now it's into the daycare centres. Even now where it's gone into the hospitals and into all the other places, uh, we have this constant exposure and saturation to that which God says is sinful, God says it's wrong, God says it, it, it's a, uh, simply going to lead to death and destruction and yet we make it out today as if it's supposed to be something wonderful. The first time they held a gay Mardi Gras in Sydney, it was attended by less than 200 people. Next month they'll hold their gay Mardi Gras march in Sydney and uh, they'll number it in the tens of thousands. At least that's what the media will tell you. Okay? But uh, this, is, this is, the fact is we are reaping what has been sown. It may not have been sown 
by us, but it is reaped by us. The impact of it is still very real for you and I. It's interesting, back in uh, 1786, a man named Edward Gibbon, an English historian, wrote a book uh, of some 10 volumes, originally six volumes, but later another four volumes. But it was all about the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And in, in light of this law of reaping what you sow, he says these are some of the things that led to the destruction of the Roman Empire. The rapid increase of divorce undermining the dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis of human society. Our communities thrive where marriage is strong. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, there's actually a clip you can see on YouTube where there's a series of different, uh, not just actors and, and others, but people of prominence in the United States who continually point out that the biggest problem they have in the United States today is the dysfunction of the home of this constant stream of single mums and single dads who are struggling and the children by the time they get to their early teens and even their late uh, primary years uh, are already on the road to destruction with drugs and crime and all this stuff. And they say this, the percentage that happens here is somewhere up in the high 70s compared to the number of homes where a, a stable relationship and mother and father is down in the low teens. And of course, you go to some of these woke people and they say, has nothing to do with it. You know, it's, it's the environment. If we could stop the, the CO2, we would all be better off. Okay, the higher and higher taxes and the spending of public monies for free bread and circuses for the populace. This is what our politicians focus on today, constantly hearing what do people want and trying to find a way to give them what they need. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 21 says that drunkard shall, be, shall come to poverty. Okay, the lazy, the sluggard, the indulgent will come to want. What does our social system do? We pay them. We pay them. Now, if, you know, one thing that my sister pointed out to me years ago, she said she never could understand in this crazy world why people have to pay for their medication to treat cancer, but we give them free drugs if they're an addict. I mean, if addiction is a disease... I guess cancer must be a bad habit. Um, but this is the world that we live in, where we've turned things all the way around the wrong way. But it's history. What we see happening, playing out, is not something new. It's all been done aforetime. Okay, the mad craze for pleasure sports becoming every year more and more exciting and more brutal. Exciting not my choice of words, Edward Gibbon's choice of words, but I mean, he's going back and looking at the history of the Roman Empire and its gladiatorial uh, competitions and, of course, the execution uh, mostly of Christians uh, as, a, as a form of sport. Okay? Then the building of gigantic armaments when the real enemy was within the decadence of the people. Have you sat down and looked at how much money's been spent on the... Uh, uh, what's the guy's name, James, the, the new telescope we've got out there in space? James Webb. James Webb, named after one of the original directors of NASA and the amount of money, and still the amount of money spent on armaments. I mean, all these countries, I mean, we're, we're supposed to be at peace and yet we're all loading up with all the bullets and guns that we can get. I mean, you know, the, problem, the problem is not, you know, who's looking over the wall at us. The problem is here within. The Lord Jesus made that very clear. He said, from within the heart of man, proceedeth all these things. Okay, so 
And then the decay of religion. This is what we really do see today. The decay of religion, faith fading into mere form, losing touch with life and becoming impotent to warn and to guide people. Okay, A.W. Tozer made this comment in a, in a series that he preached um, called uh, the Evangelical Christianity has left the land of promise and is in Babylonian captivity. Probably one of the longest sermon titles you'll ever hear. But uh, one of the things that he, he pointed out there was that, you know, when a diseased Christianity becomes evangelistic, it merely enlarges the area of infection. When we see an easy believism being pushed out into communities today where people simply uh, pray a prayer, there's no repentance toward God, there's no faith toward Jesus Christ. There's no, they don't really believe that they're a sinner. They, they believe, you know, this is just a little ticket to heaven. You know, like, like when they, they used to stand on the corner giving out free tickets to visit the local circus when it came to town. And this idea of, you know, just, just pray this prayer. Pray this prayer, you know, recite these words. Um, and you're a Christian. it's become more and more impotent. It's lost its power. See, a diseased Christianity is a Christianity that doesn't have Christ, doesn't have the Holy Spirit, doesn't have the anointing and the blessing of God. You probably have noticed, but when it comes to the blessings of God, Satan is well able to duplicate and counterfeit. You notice in the book of Job, in Job and chapter 1, all the things that happened to Job were not the hand of God. God had allowed it. God gave him over. God, I mean, God's the one who pointed him out, you know. I mean, if you had a congregation of people here today and, and we said, okay, who wants to be God's next uh, walking illustration of suffering for Christ? How many volunteers? Please sit. Oh, great. It's good to see you all sitting there. Okay, so that's where we're at today. Then we have the second law is we reap the same kind as we sow. In the book of Genesis, we're told, and God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And so we have this law here that every seed after its kind. Now, we do have some uh, prime gardeners here this morning. Something was pointed out to me by a friend who was a professor uh, in the United States, and his specialty is in peaches. Now, I have a couple of peach trees that are pretty lean at the moment. But uh, he did point out to me there's two fruits, the, the nectarine and the peach, that if you plant a peach, you will get a peach. If you plant an orange, you may get a different variety of orange to what you got. The same with an apple, the same with a pear. But it's still after its kind. Just like a cocker spaniel is just the same as a German shepherd. It's a dog, but it is after its kind as it is a dog. Okay, So we reap the same kind as we sow. Consider the application that Jesus made in this law in his conversation to Nicodemus in John 3. And he, he, he says to him, you know, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Nicodemus is wrestling with this. How can a man enter into his mother's womb and be, go and be born a second time? The funny thing is the first time I ever read that, that was exactly my thought. I've got this little white-covered white New Testament. I'm reading John chapter 3 and it says, Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. I'm like, what? 
because I'm thinking in the physical world. He's not talking physical world. He's talking, here is a man who taught and tutored people in the spiritual realm, who had no understanding of the spiritual realm. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very simple application. Uh, to get people to think spiritually, when we talk about sin, most times we're talking about sin as something that has been done or something that has been said. Therefore, you know, uh, well, he's drunk, well, that's sinful. He's swearing, that's sinful. She's shooting dope, that's sinful. Uh, they're stealing stuff, that's sinful. But that's simply the fruit. Where has the seed of it come from? There within the heart. And for people to actually identify, hang on, I've got a problem because I've got a sinful heart. I'm a sinner. We often say to people, we sin because we're sinners. We don't become sinners by sinning. David said, I was conceived in iniquity. I was altogether born in sin. That was the condemnation that the Pharisees threw at the feet, the rulers threw at the feet of the blind man that Jesus healed in John chapter 9, said, you were altogether born in sin. Because they believed people were born with disabilities because there was something sinful in their life and God had predetermined. Now, by the way, early in that chapter 9, let's don't forget that the disciples believed that. Even though Jesus had been tutoring from a year and a half, they're still buying in to the teachings of the time that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. And if something bad happened to you, it's because you're a bad person. No. Jesus said neither this man nor his parents. He wasn't saying they are not sinful. What he was saying is his malady, his affliction, was not the result of something he had done wrong or his parents. Okay? So we need to understand that, the spiritual realm. I'm getting used to pushing the button twice. I'll get the hang of it. Okay, we reap in a different season than we sow. While the earth remaineth, seed, time and harvest, and cold and heat and summer, winter and day and night shall not cease. There are seasons. This is one of my favourite verses to quote for people today. You know, we look at the cyclone, which is a bit of a non-event up there in Townsville. You know, uh, we've got family living up there and they said well apart from not having electricity and a few leaves on the ground it's been pretty quiet but it's seasons you live long enough you understand Melbourne has lousy lousy summers dry winters wet summers cold springs sometimes autumn seems to go on forever we don't mind that okay but uh, well it's a season so we need to understand Uh, Verse 3 says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. are Are we in constant joy? We might have joy within, but are we showing constant joy in our lives? Are we constantly patient? Are we always patient? Many times the long-suffering, the fruit of the spirit of long-suffering and the meekness is only manifested in our lives when it's needed. When somebody's berating me, when somebody's perhaps even bullying me or or treating me badly, then I need to manifest long-suffering that I don't punch out their lights and meekness that I simply accept it. Now, there's a time when you need to hear the rebuke and there's a time when you need to walk away. There's a time when you need to respond and there's a time when you need to keep silent. All these are various seasons of spiritual life. You do not answer a fool according to his folly, 
uh, lest they'll be likened unto him. Then you answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. And you say, hang on, there's a contradiction. No, that's a season. There's a time and a place, my mother would say, for everything. When my brother and I would upset the dinner table fighting in the kitchen, no, time and a place, take it outside. And I'd say, you go outside, if I'm not there in five minutes, start without me. Okay? Too many Christians spend the week sowing wild oats and then going to church on Sunday praying for a crop failure. But the reality is we will reap in a different season. Now at times, I often refer to, some people get a very short leash when they're straying from God. Some people seem to get a long leash. The leash is a season. Sometimes the season's short, sometimes it's long. But sooner or later, that which we have sown, we shall also reap. <clears throat> we reap more than we sow. This is one of the things that is uh, you know, a wonderful concept for you and I. It says, And the other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth fruit, some thirty and some sixty and some an hundredfold. Now, I was, uh, it, while I've been in communication with Brother Kaufman recently, uh, two of the young men that are involved in the ministry in Zambia at the moment that, does no, that no longer has a pastor, that uh, two of these young men came to know Christ as Saviour through our ministries over there. And uh, it's been a great joy to see that these young men have led many other young people and children and even adults to a saving knowledge of Christ. But it started with one seed. One soul reaching another soul, then reaching more and more. Uh, this, is, this is the good side of the reaping what we sow. But there's also a bad side to it. If you look in Leviticus in chapter 26, I think we've referenced this before, there is a five-fold cycle of discipline promised to Israel. There's a promise of blessing and prosperity. I mentioned the other day, there's a promise of peace. There's a promise of uh, plenty. There's a promise of uh, protection. Uh, you know, one of you shall chase a thousand and a thousand of you shall... Th uh, but when you come down later on, it says, I will also do this and I will set my face against you. God says, now, if you do not keep my statutes, if you don't obey my covenant with you, I will do this. And it starts out with one, one flexing of God's muscles against his people. One rod of correction. But then verse 18 says, seven times more. And then seven times more. And we mentioned this concerning the drought that he said, you know, and that's one of the first things God says, if I shut up heaven, there be no rain. God said, I'm going to make the heaven like iron and your earth like brass. And you'll sow your seed and you'll reap nothing. I've seen that kind of drought. I've seen it in New South Wales. I've seen it in Queensland. I remember seeing it in a time of, of real drought up in uh, New Guinea. And uh, the, just the fields for miles around where they would grow their cow cow or their sweet potato were just blowing dust devils everywhere, just, just rotting away in the ground. And, uh, you know, nothing. Uh, seven times more. The thing is this, that uh, we reap more than we sow this is multiplication, not addition. So it's not one plus seven plus seven plus seven plus seven. It's one times seven times seven times seven. So we have one times one is one. God says, now 
you've done this wrong, you haven't honoured me and this is what I'm going to do. But then if you still don't, he says, I'll punish you seven times more. Seven ones are seven. Then if you still don't, he says, seven times seven. Have you ever wondered why God seems to deal so harshly with the Jewish people, with the nation of Israel? There it is. Are Israel in repentance and belief today? No. You go to Israel and you'll see them, the religious there going through the motions of just, you know, it, it's such a pretense. Multitudes of young people over there go and join into these religious uh, orthodoxy so they don't have to serve in the army. They get paid not to be in the army. It's, 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 it's not binding on them. But then you go and see the rest of the people and they're just like you and I. They're out there partying and doing all the things young people do here in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. They're just like us. Okay? So we do reap more than we sow. We reap in proportion as we sow. The simple truth is this. If we do not sow, we do not reap. That's not quite correct though, is it? Because many times we, we, we reap that which someone else has sown. But if we make it personal, say, well, if I didn't do this, I won't, this won't happen. It says if we sow sparingly, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, we will reap sparingly. And he's talking about the evangelism of the gospel. He's talking about bringing the message of salvation. If you only share it with a little, you only reap a little. But if you sow bountifully, you will also reap bountifully. Now he makes that application in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 concerning the concept of giving. The problem is most times people think of giving in terms of dollars and cents. Paul's not talking merely about dollars and cents. He's talking about how the Macedonians first gave themselves. When God gets a hold of a man's heart and his life, he doesn't need to worry about his wallet. He doesn't need to worry about his home, doesn't need to worry about his job, doesn't need to worry about his morals because when God gets a hold of the heart of a man, he gets a hold of everything. How are we going for time? We're flying. All right. Okay, comparison of the two laws. Law number four deals with the more than and this is God's part and we can do nothing about it. God is the one who ordains how much we are going to reap, how much more. But law number five deals with the proportion and that is our part. What are we doing with what we have? And we can do something about that. We can refuse to share the gospel. We can refuse to do a lot of things. We can refuse to obey God and refuse to go abide and obey God a little or refuse to obey him a lot or vice versa, obey him in many things or just obey him in the smorgasbord choice of the, a few things. Okay, so we have that comparison that we need to, to keep in mind. Okay? The Proverbs 11.24 says, There is that that scatters, yet it increaseth. There is that which withholdeth more than is meat that tendeth to poverty. You see, the concept of the world is if you want to be rich, get. What does God say? Give. Give and shall be given unto you. If you want to be poor, 
grasp. What does God say? No. If you want to, if you want to have an abundance, he says, yeah, you need to scatter. You need to be sowing. If you want to be needy, you need to hoard. So we have the, the world's concept is completely opposite to God's concept. God says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure. Running over, he even says. And yet in the world, you, you realise that you know, probably 90% of the wealth of this world belongs to 10% of the population. Now that's a statistic that's been around, I think, for the last 50 years. And it hasn't changed. I mean, there, there really is, you know, many times when you look at the abundance of wealth, I mean, you can actually go, when we were in Singapore, we, we uh, were ministering there back in, I think, 2009, and uh, we went over the border into northern Malaysia. I think it's northern, yeah, yeah, I've got to try and remember my, my world compass. But anyway, we went over the border, and the area we were was very, very poor. We went there because there was an amazing market there where everything had some really good quality goods and everything was really, really cheap. But uh, the sad thing is the Sultan, the Sultan of Brunei lives, you know, just a little ways up there and he's probably still in the top three richest people in the world. But he, he owns a model of every Lamborghini and Ferrari that's ever been made. One person said that he could drive a car, a, a different car every day for five years and never been in the same vehicle twice. Why? When you go 100 kilometres down the road and there are people that are, that are living out of rubbish bins and I'm thinking, mate, sell a car. Give. give. There shouldn't be any poverty. One of the great debates I had with my sister, she said, you know, if only we could get rid of poverty in the world. I said, I'll give you two reasons why you'll never get rid of poverty in the world. The first reason is Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. The reason God allows poverty in the world is to instruct his people in giving. To teach us what it means to have compassion. When Jesus saw people as sheep having no shepherd, it moved him to do something. But the other thing is, for me, you always have poor people because you'll always have greedy people. And we've got heaps of them. All right, we're nearly, we're nearly done. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom, and it shall be the same measure that you meet with all that shall be measured to you again. Who does that measuring? God. God's the one who decides whether I get 30, 60, or 100 fold. Number six, we reap the full harvest of good only if we persevere. The evil harvest comes of itself. How hard is it to plant a garden? A lot of work goes into a garden, but just leave it. I had a beautiful, beautiful veggie patch up in Ingham. We go off on the road for three or four months. We've got a family in the church. Say, so, yeah, we'll look after your garden. We'll look, no worries. Came home and the weeds are up here. Everything in the garden in the fenced off area is dead. You know, oh, sorry, we forgot. Oh, we meant to do it yesterday. Must have been a lot of yesterdays in there, but you know, it comes. Right? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Okay? The husbandman that laboureth must be first partaker 
of the fruits. Eventually, if we are doing that which is right in the eyes of the Lord, there will be a harvest. God will determine uh, the abundance of that harvest. And then lastly, we cannot do anything about last year's harvest, but we can do much about this year's. You know, over the past year, we've had a project here in the church uh, of giving out tracts, not just for the celebrating of our 50th anniversary, but to become more and more concerned about the world in which we live and the greatness of the needs of people. I don't think the nation of Australia since the Second World War has seen uh, an economic harshness that they were enduring in many places now. We can do something about this. Because the greatest need people have is not housing, is not bigger pay packets. The greatest need they have is Christ. And we need to understand that. We cannot do anything. Okay, The book of Hebrews, where lessons there that we need to walk by faith, not by sight. Looking back to learn is not a problem. The things which happened aforetime are done there for our, uh, for our learning. Okay, Looking back... Uh, longing to go back will weaken our faith as we begin to walk by sight, not by faith. Okay, this is a common snare to all of God's children. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about those who, even though surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses, we need to run by faith. The whole problem of the Hebrew Christians was they wanted to go back to the old temple, back to the old blood and gut sacrifices, back to all the things that were visible. Say, no, 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 you need to keep your eyes looking unto Jesus. A common problem, the same problem we have today is we get our eyes off the Lord, we get our eyes on circumstance, situation, we start listening to people instead of listening to God's word and the spirit of God and we start to struggle, we start to stumble. Okay, we're going to finish it there uh, because we're out of time. But I trust you will understand the concept of the spiritual laws. You cannot reap good if you do not sow good. We cannot and will not see people come to Christ unless we sow the good news. And that was the whole purpose in Christ's coming. We do get great opportunities. Easter again at the end of March will, will usher in another opportunity. Christmas always brings in a great opportunity. Uh, Thanksgiving as it grows as a concept here in Australia, hopefully not quite as, as muddle-headed muddle wombats like they are in the United States. You know, we all love Americans, we just don't want to be one, right? And, uh, sorry, Sarah, that was your edification. But uh, the opportunities, when the seasons come and the doors are open, we need to be ready and move with compassion and in expectation that I'm sowing good seed, God will bring a good harvest. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and praise you for our time in the Word this morning. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that many times we have not reaped the full harvest of what we have sown. Lord, we're thankful that you deal so graciously and so patiently and lovingly with us. Thank you for your abundant mercy. Help us, Father, to be busy about the things of the Lord Help us to be found uh, doing that which is right in thy sight for your glory and for your praise in Jesus' name. Amen.